It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. In the spring of 1985, the Mets were poised for greatness. With a remarkable core of young players including Doc Gooden, Ron Darling, Dallas Strawberry, Keith Hernandez, and more, the Mets were ready to take over New York. In an unexpected twist, a new prospect suddenly emerged. A tall, lanky 26-year-old pitcher with a rumored 168-mile-per-hour fastball and a mysterious past. The problem was, no one had ever heard of him. This is the bizarre story of Sid Finch and how he fooled the baseball world on April 1st, 1985. Hi, this is uh, Jay Harwood with a very special edition of the Amazing Mets Alumni Podcast. I'm really thrilled to have J- Joe Burton, a.k.a. Sid Finch, and Lane Stewart, the photographer from Sports Illustrated, help shoot the pictures. Guys, let me uh, first of welcome uh, Joe and Lane. Pleasure to be here. Did you ever think 36 years later we'd be celebrating Sid Finch's anniversary? Joe, I'll start with you. Well, I'm I'm still surprised. I usually have a, a quiet bet with my wife as we get closer to April 1st. Who's going to be calling? Is it going to be a radio show, a TV show, some kind of reporter working on something? But uh, every year we get some interest returning on it. So it's been fun. But yeah, I don't think we ever thought it would have that, lay, that many legs to the story. How about you, Lane? Uh, I thought it would be dead about three days after the issue date. <laughs> uh, we, when you're putting it, when, you, when you're part of a, a magazine uh, that's a weekly, it, you know, a week is a long time. And uh, for this thing to have lived, uh, you know, from one issue to the next uh, surprised me and uh, that it, you know, seemed to last, uh, seems like forever. And, uh, you know, Joe being in Chicago and with Chicago having a particular interest in this story, it really lived for him. I kind of went on to other assignments and, um, you know, just moved on. But uh, Joe became uh, a celebrity in Chicago. It was for a while there, it was funny to walk down the sidewalk with him. (laughs) People would recognize him. and. so, so let me tell you how it started from my end. This is, we go back to, to like February of 1985. I get called to the Frank Cashin's office. He was a GM at the time. And I'm sitting here with the late Gene Cohn, who was assist, his assistant. He says, Jay, how's your sense of humor? I said, well, pretty good, Frank, I think. We got a project for you. We just got off the phone with George Clifton and Mark Mulvey of Sports Illustrated. And they want to do something on April 1st that uh, George is going to write a story and it's, it's going to be on the cover and the gist of the story is going to be the Mets have signed this phenom named Sid Finch wore a boot and threw a 160 mile an hour fastball and a 140 mile an hour curve. What do you think? I said, Frank, I'm all in. Let's, <laughs> let's do it. So 
the, the issue comes out uh, on April 1st, and correct me if I'm wrong, guys, the first paragraph in the story said, this is an April Fool's joke, and no one, no one picked it up. And, you know, Joe, how long do you, know, talk about your, 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 when you went to the locker room at Huggins Stangle, it was a small locker room. I think you were in the middle between Joe, between Daryl Strawberry and George Forster. Some of the guys knew and some of the guys didn't know. What was your reception? Do you remember when you walked in that day? Well, when Len gave me a call about the story, uh, Lane knew my interest in baseball and would always try to tie me in as a assistant with the baseball story, particularly spring training. And he called wanting help on a Mets story. The Mets and the Cubs were in the same division that time of year, that, that in 1985, the Cubs were coming off their great season in 84. The Mets had just signed Gary Carter. Davey Johnson was pretty new on the scene. So Lane was telling me about this phenom and what a great pitcher he was and how he just had a French horn and a food bowl. Would I want to get in on the story? And he, this, Lane said he had a great fastball, like a 160 mile an hour fastball. Right, right. And I, Lane would usually take personality pictures. So I knew he might be wrong on the sports details, like how fast a fastball really is. But I was all in on it. I told him I'd be in on the story. That sounded good. And he said, well, get yourself a French horn and a food bowl and show up for spring training. So that was my introduction to that. I got down to St. Petersburg, met Lane. Uh, we had just a small printout, like a dot matrix printout from Plimpton of a couple of pages. Uh, we had it over to the Mets training facility. Uh, your people hooked me up with a uniform. I wanted a number that was not on the roster and 21 had a magical quality to it. So we picked 21. And then we started walking around and Lane that first day, we. I remember getting onto the field with the real players and here's Davey Johnson and Bobby Valentine walking the team around first base to second base, giving us almost little league details about how to lead, how, how to lead off a base, how not to. And I'm thinking, well, welcome to the big leads. And I'm trying to keep my distance. I'm in full uniform. And I look back to Lane and Lane's edging me, you know, motioning with a hand, get closer, get in with the players, get in there with those guys. And I'm, I'm trying to without being too obnoxious about it, but Lane, you were pretty encouraging about getting me to do silly things. Lane, how did it start from your end? Can you tell from here, the SIN, how did they approach you with this? Well, uh, it was basically like any other story. I, I did a lot of feature work and uh, a lot of uh, odd, odd stories. I, uh, my, my, uh, my daily routine was not uh, doing sideline and, uh, you know, uh, game action. So uh, I wasn't, I wasn't just hopping from <laughs> one, one, one uh, stadium to another, but, uh, you know, I, I was called into the managing editor's office and uh, I'm not sure whether they, I've often thought whether they had let me see the story before or they just, uh, as often I would have just walked in and the man, Mark Mowboy would have just handed me the story and put me in a corner chair and said, you know, what do you think of this? Uh, they don't ask you if you really, you know, would you like to do this? They, if they ask you that, they actually anticipate the answer. <laughs> and um, so I, I read enough of the story 
and knew it was by Plimpton, and um, nobody had to, nobody to, had to tell me that it was a piece of fiction. And as I'm reading it, I kind of visualize. Actually, I've always thought that Joe, Joe and I were really good, longtime friends. We had, you know, his brother and I and my wife had gone to Egypt together. And, you know, we had known each other for years and uh, ran around together. And I'm reading this, and I actually think I thought Joe Burton could be Sid Finch's brother. You know, that just took another route. Uh, I, I, that was just kind of like, I just saw Joe as the, as the, as, as, uh, as Sid. And the fact that Joe was a <laughs> rabid Cubs fan, uh, I, I just saw him automatically. And uh, some of the people in the office had said, oh, well, you're going to have to get a model to do this. And and I, I think I was still in Mulvoy's office when I said, no, no, I got the guy. <laughs> there was no question in my mind that Joe would jump at the chance to be part of this and, uh, and contribute, you know, so much to it. Uh, it was also the kind of story that, you know, Sports Illustrated, we, we did not do fiction. So I did need someone to bounce off ideas and you know how the hell we were going to approach this thing and uh i i would have loved to have had joe along on this story even if he was just strictly behind the camera with me because uh that's that's actually joe made the story yeah. uh but uh that's uh that's that was it and you know we just went off and did it i've got to say that nobody in the office thought this was a really big deal Boy, it turned into a great deal. Yeah. Well, yeah, it did. It did. But it wasn't like, oh, Lane, this is going to be such a big project. Why don't you take a month to shoot it? It it wasn't like that at all. It was just, you know, it was just uh, another project that had to be done. I'm not quite sure how many days we had to do it. We, I've often said we only spent three nights down there. And if I had known this was going to be such a big deal, we would have, we could have turned that three night trip into a Joe, I don't know if you remember. Nice you know, so you know who was great with the story? Joe, I don't know if you remember Mel Stottlemyre, the late oh, Mel Stottlemyre. Yeah. Uh, he really helped sell this. Uh, we had the tent in back of the uh, of the field house of Huckett Stangle. And you threw, is, is that, we, we have a visitor? Ed Lynch, right? Ed, is that Ed? Yeah, I recognize Ed. <laughs> say hello to joe burton aka sid finch and lane stewart the photographer uh ed lynch one of good friends and a member of the 85 team 88 14 ed we're talking about your favorite picture sid finch and you (laughs) told me right from the beginning you were a non-believer well you know you throw 168 mile an hour fastball and 146 mile an hour curveball. Where's the changeup? I mean, come on, let's go. Well, the breakaway slider was about 99. So, <laughs> Eddie, what do you remember about the disc which sit down there? Well, I was just amazed how many people actually believed it, and uh, 
you know, it was great fun. I thought Jay did a great job. I mean, there's way that time of year is a very nervous time for a lot of people because you're trying to make the club and you're getting ready for opening day and everybody's a little uptight and and so to have something like that what was a real refreshing thing, you know. I mean, it was and I can't I still can't believe how many people were calling the commissioner's office about uh, the player uh, about Sid, about, you know, general managers calling. And uh, I just thought it was a great idea. Like, I mean, did uh, you, like, did I, you I say who, I think Gary Rasich might have been number 21. I don't know if he was real happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, did you say Rob Manford asked you about the story? Not Rob Manford, uh, Peter Uberoff. No, he didn't ask. Uh, he asked somebody else, though. Uh, I think he asked Keith Hernandez about it. And, um, we, you know, I think Keith yeah. played along, but, uh, you know, we're talking about how good Mel Stolomine was with this. He, I don't know if you guys remember, we, we, we burnt the hole in Ron Reynolds, glove when it catches back then. <laughs> and we did a press conference with Mel and Ron. And we said, this was your curveball, Joe. I don't know if you remember that part of that press conference. Oh yeah. I remember that. And I remember Ron Reynolds holding his hand and, and, um, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, Sid or Joe and Lane, um, Sid, I know you came out to the Hug and Stangle Complex. I mean, that, that shows you how far we've come as an industry when that was our main spring training facility, that it was one big field in the middle of a residential neighborhood next to a lake with alligators. I mean, that was, our, amazing. That was our home facility. So you fit right in right there. Yeah. We did a shot using that locker room and Lane and I made a little name plaque to go between, I think, Foster's and Strawberry's locker. And you remember that locker room, how primitive it is. It was almost like a trailer on wheels. I just couldn't Let me believe tell it. You, uh, Babe Ruth, Luke Eric, and the, the Yankees of the 1920s trained there. And all the Yankees oh. all the way through the 30s. And then in the war, they stayed closer to home and all the way through the 50s until they left to go to Fort Lauderdale in 61. And then the Mets came in in 62. So that place has got an unbelievable history. Wow. And, um, and like, you what was your, fa like, what was your favorite picture? My favorite picture? Uh, yeah, my like, favorite uh, pictures. My favorite picture was the one, always the one that runs the largest. So uh, uh, the opening, the opening picture, uh, uh, the one boot on, one boot off, uh, pitching on the beach at the Coke can, uh, I think was, uh, it did kind of sum up, uh, it did kind of sum up the whole story. And in my mind, uh, gave uh, the joke away on the opening spread. And I argued actually against using that version because I had shot it with two boots and with professional shoes. And I thought the one boot on and one boot off would give the joke away on the opening spread. And, you know, uh, everybody would see it. No, it did. Eddie, you'll appreciate <laughs> this. I, I got a call from the editor of one of the New York papers the day they said came out. The guy was screaming at me. We cover the Mets on a daily basis. How could you give this story to Sports Illustrated? I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to take our beat guy away. It's a disgrace. And I said to the guy, "Listen, if SI got a if you got a big exclusive, I give it to Sports Illustrated. What would you feel?" We kept it going for a day. Eddie, I got a call from Jim Fry, who had just gone over to the Cubs and said, who is this guy? Why didn't I hear of him? And we kept it going for about a day and a half. And then, you know, all the beat guys were man to me because they got scooped. And it was, uh, and you, you, don't you think some of the guys did believe it though, Eddie? Oh, yeah. There were a couple of players that believed it. And, uh, 
non-pitchers, obviously, because they don't understand <laughs> those numbers. Those numbers are, I mean, you have to throw, you know, throw out of a, a flying airplane to throw 168 mile over here <laughs> and 146 mile an hour breaking ball. But uh, yeah, I mean, there were guys and, you know, it was a different age then, you know, it was a very innocent time information wise. I mean, you remember running to get the newspaper in the morning to find out what happened, you know, the box scores and all that. And, and it'd be tough to pull this off in today's environment with the bloggers and the social media and the instant access to information globally. You know, I mean, it was a much more innocent time, certainly information wise. And I think that's why it worked. And I thought it, I thought it came out great, Jake. Yeah, it was great. Joe, wait, 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 wait. I, I talked with Lane a number of times about the geographical distribution of Sports Illustrated. Like Monday and Tuesday, it seemed to be in New York. I didn't get the magazine in Chicago until Wednesday or Thursday. And the West Coast got it about Thursday and Friday. So yes, even so. though the media explosion, it was a geographical progression instead of like you say, and now it would be just 10 minutes, it would be all over. Oh yeah, absolutely. But uh yeah, I think, no offense, Joe, but you got some really ugly feet. That left foot in that picture, man. That looks well, like a claw off some, some prehistoric uh, bird that's going to kill somebody. But As Lane knows, I asked the magazine to give me copies of the letters to the editor they got, which I think generated 3,000 letters. So, it, And you had to write a letter at that time, not just yeah. email. You had to actually write. And we did hear from a couple of foot doctors, Ed, that it was, <laughs> it was suggesting what I needed to do to correct my foot. Lay, <laughs> did you tell me it was the most widely received story you know, of all time? Or I remember, I'm forgetting what the detail what? You told me the other day. Oh, that what, what you're referring to is... Uh, uh, th those 3,000 letters, Sports Illustrated, uh, I, I don't know why they considered it so important, but uh, they, they, they kept track of the incoming letters, whether they were pro or con, and printed up a stack for virtually every desk in the office. So the, the old-fashioned copy boys would come around and plop down, you know, a few hundred letters stapled, Xeroxes stapled together. Well, for Sid Finch, it was 3,000 letters. And of all the, at that moment, the top 10 letter, incoming letters, were all top, were all swimsuit edition letters. <laughs> Why? Why and do you think that at is? Least, guys, <laughs> at least Why for that moment, that the Sid Finch, uh, Letters broke all the records for swimsuit, you know, comments. So yeah, that was a. Uh, there were so many twists and turns to that uh, that story that you know, here we are today, thirty six years later. Uh, so many twists and turns. It just never dies. You know, hey, hey, Jay, it's amazing. A couple things. I was reading George Plimpton was scared to death, I guess, the couple of days before he was going to submit it. He thought, I remember his quote was, nothing falls flatter than a bad joke. And I think he was really nervous that this thing was going to be a total flop or, you know, to be on the cover of Sports Illustrated with something like this. You know, he, he was out there. I mean, he was out there on a limb, you know, he really was. And the second thing I say, after spending 40 years in baseball, 
it's amazing things that you think are insignificant. And like what Lane said, here we are 35 years later talking about it. It's like Mookie's at bat against Bob Stanley in game six. Yeah, I mean, it might be question. the worst at bat in Mookie's career, mm-hmm. but that's all anybody sees because it was such a significant moment at the time. It didn't, you know, when he's walking up to the plate, it probably didn't seem that way, but you know, this is the kind of thing that survives time because it, it goes outside the game of baseball and goes to people's imagination. Yeah, I, I love that. Do you remember we had your retirement and outlying the next year or something? It was that next week. Yeah. The the story came out and then all of a sudden you guys, the Mets are calling me up for a, to come down for a press conference to announce my retirement. <laughs> you had a hell of a career though, Joe. To read a statement. Plimpton wrote up a statement for me I'm giving up baseball because there was too much delusion in it. And instead, I was going to take up the game of golf, a singular sport. And, I love that stuff. Man. That was great. Lane got assigned this as a true story. So I was all nervous about it. I, I told the Mets I would do it if I, on one condition. This time I got to keep the uniform. Yeah. Jay worked, Jay worked that out. But that was a, it was a sad day in retirement, Joe. You know, they had, <laughs> well, they had high school bands and all of that. And it was great. I read the statement. And as I'm heading off, off the field, I'm following Gary Carter. And there's all kinds of kids coming down to get their baseball signed and stuff. And a kid just has his ball signed by Carter. Then he hands it to me. And I'm looking at it going, I can't. I can't send, I can't sign this ball. You've got Gary Carter's autograph on it. And Carter turns around and says, sign the ball, Sid. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Gary was, Joe, you remember your favorite by plays with any of the players and, you know, your reaction? With any, I know was, do you remember what some of the guys said to you when you walked in the locker room and all? Or? Well, I know, well, we hung out with the younger guys because we didn't want to give the story up. So it was Lenny Dykstra, Kevin Mitchell, um, John Christensen, Dave Cochran, yeah. Ryan Reynolds, those, of course. Those they were all excited, the because, who, uh, who, they were excited who, because it might be in the magazine, and I had no clue what was going to be in the magazine. So all I could tell them was we were with Sports Illustrated. I didn't want to break their hearts. I didn't want to set them up. There's no way with TikTok and Instagram and Twitter, we could never do that today. I mean, we, we did hold it for like a day and a half, I think, or a day. I mean, my, when I got back, my was bombarded from people all across the country. And But it lasted, how long did it last for you guys, Joe? Jo, you know, do you remember how long before you think they found out? It seemed to be about a week. Maybe, I don't know, it hit Monday and by Friday they were coming out to my school with a radar gun so <laughs> we tracked down the real Sid he's not pitching fastballs he's pitching pots on the wheel Yo, so what, what, what did you teach at that time what, what did you teach I was an art teacher and how old were the kids in your class well they were amazed by it they were 12 and 13 so junior high so when the story hit they were surprised they they thought I was leaving teaching and giving up <laughs> taking a baseball career did you sign a lot of autographs back then? Well, at that time, soon after that, I got to know Plimpton, and he had some baseball cards printed up and gave me a stack of them. Then when I got back, I wanted more. So I called the number on the back, and the guy that answers the phone, he's going on and on about the story, loving the story, giving me details. How did I get involved? And out of politeness, I asked his name. He said, well, I'm Jim Bouton. I used to pitch for the Yankees. We got a couple of pitchers on the line. So. That's, pretty, that's pretty funny. That's, hey, Eddie, tell the people, you know, Frank Cashin was not, he was kind of a stoic guy. 
And when we first did this, to me, we were the last guy to want to get involved with something like this. You know, he wasn't, you know, an old-fashioned newspaper guy. I mean, am I wrong remembering him, Frank, like that? I mean, that's why I was kind of shocked a little bit. He would want to get involved with something like this. Yeah, you know, all these years, Jay, I thought it was your idea. You're no, I can't take Frank. credit for No, that. but let me, let me finish. All these years, I was like, how on earth did, did Jay talk Frank Cashin into this? This is so unlike Frank. But then when he told me it came from the commissioner, then I they understood better why, you know. Yeah. And plus Frank, yeah. you know, Frank had a lot of probably a lot in common with George Plimpton in terms of where they grew up and their education and things of that nature. So uh, I remember I remember Frank Frank Gene Cohn uh, typed up the release for me. We handed it out before the story came out. <laughs> Everybody thought it was crazy, and we saw the article. Uh, I remember how mad the beat writers were. You know, yeah, you know that's Jack Lang, some of the old-fashioned guys were really kicked off that they didn't get the story. I mean, it was uh, great. It was great. Now you see Eddie, you couldn't do this today, right? Eddie, Eddie's been a former general manager. When you went to Cubs, did, did anybody ever come to you with anything like this or <laughs> anything similar at all? Uh, no, nothing, nothing like that. I mean, no, nothing is something this uh, big. I mean, this well-planned. Um, you know, we play jokes on players, you know, like players were always getting cops to pull over other players as they're coming out of Wrigley Field and put the cuffs on, ha, 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 all that stuff. But, you know, nothing, nothing like this. I mean, this, this is unprecedented. You yeah, know, yeah. April 1st, cover of Sports Illustrated, George Plimpton, you know, in, in the largest market in the world, in one of the largest markets in the world and on a really good team. I mean, this this will never be matched again for all the reasons that you yeah. talked about, Jay. Yeah, I can't think of another. Is anybody think of another joke as similar to any of sports? To me, it's probably the best baseball prank ever. I mean, I, I can't think of anything. Well, ironically, Jay is the the paper lion. Remember that with George yeah, yeah, Clinton, yeah, where he actually George put on a uniform and got on the field. I'm surprised he didn't get killed. But yeah. uh, that's the only thing I can think of. Is that Joe? Joe, like, you think of anything in your careers? Anything? this? No, but I think when Lane was covering us for that farewell press conference, it was April Fools. It was actually April Fools. And Lane said, I don't care what you say. Tell them whatever you want. So I <laughs> <laughs> the story. So at that time, we had a lot of reporters that wanted the background information of the story. So they're asking how Lane and I met. And I was just making things up that we've we met doing a, a camel ride from Riyadh to Jeddah on the way in Saudi Arabia, camel race. These the reporters were asking, how do you spell Jeddah and all of this? So, you know, yeah. like I said, I've been with the Mets a long time and Eddie has been a baseball time. And I, to me, this is one of my one, two, three highlights. You know, is we had a night, we had fun. We didn't hurt anybody. It was, it was a fun thing to do. And, uh, you know, it, it's... Uh, it was a great thing to be part of. Like, you know, every April 1st, I think we'll be coming, you guys will be getting calls and keep doing the same thing. You know what? I just want to thank you, Joe. Thank you, Lane. Thank you, Eddie, for being a part of this. It was fun. And uh, everybody be safe and be healthy. Maybe Sid could come back out of retirement. Who knows, right, Joe? I'll come and visit you, Jay. Yeah, well, yeah. Every, every, everybody be ready for a trip. I'm ready for a trip to Florida. I'll make it longer this time. <laughs> yeah, we got, we, you know what, guys, listen, we got to come up April 1st, 2022. We got to come up with something else. We can put your collective heads together, you know, something, you know, something else. We got to come up with some other 
thing and we see we how could it be that we could fool the people again for one more day you know let's let's put our collective heads together and see what we can come up with i'm sure we can uh, let's talk through the air and see what we come up with guys again Sounds thank good. you lane okay Sid, Sid could buy the mess what's that next year sid finch could buy the mess well, you know, that might not be, it's some people on this call, that might not be a great idea. Maybe we'll come up with another idea, you know, but <laughs> hey guys, Steve and Devin, thank you for putting, it was fun guys. It's good to talk about the past and a good time. Eddie, thank you for your time as always. All right, Joe, Jay, anytime. Be, be well guys, huh? All right, take care. Bye-bye. Devin, are you good? Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.